couple got up out of their bed. They made their way to the front door. They opened it, and there stood two strangers. Her father had remarried shortly after and brought this woman and her daughter to live in his house. We love stories! It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. And of course, when we're talking about stories on the apple seed, we're not talking about news stories, not talking about the news at all. We're talking about folk tales and fairy tales and tall tales and personal and family tales, tales to warm your heart and lift your spirit and give flight to your imagination. And we've got some great stories for you today. You're going to hear a story from Barbara McBride Smith, an old story called Bossus and Philemon. And you're going to hear a story from Charlotte Blake Alston, an African folk tale, the story of a young girl whose kindness saves her on a journey across the world. It's a story that you're not going to want to miss. And in fact, speaking of kindness, you know, In a lot of stories, we admire the courage or the strength or the wisdom or the wit of the main character. Those things can get storytelling characters out of a lot of different jams. But today, we want to focus on kindness, the way that kindness brings about a desirable solution to a problem or a resolution to a story. And that's what we've got for you today. And in fact, to introduce you to the first story that we're going to hear today, uh, I'm pleased to have in the studio with me Samantha Danes, one of our assistant producers. Samantha, it's great to have you with me. Great to be here. We're going to hear a Barbara McBride Smith story. Yes, I'm super excited for this one. Let's hear about this tale. So Barbara McBride Smith is from Waco, Texas. And when she was growing up, she didn't understand that the Greek myths took place in Greece. She just (laughs) kind of thought they took place in her hometown in in Waco, Texas. And sure. so uh, as she grew up, she started developing the Greek myth stories as if they were told in Texas, which I think is really fun. Yeah, yeah, as Texan stories. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're the classic myths you've heard before. She's got albums full of them, um, but they've just got a little southern twang to them, which is really fun. <laughs> it is fun to hear these stories set in this way by a really wonderful storyteller, Barbara. McBride Smith lives now in the heart of storytelling in America, Jonesboro, Tennessee, and you can find her in the environs of the National Storytelling Festival just about every year. Here's Barbara McBride Smith with a Texan myth, shall we call it, here on the Appleseed. I'm going to close with one little story now. It's one of my favorite myths. It's one that's not very well known. Um, I discovered it and then decided to retell it. And I gave it to my husband as a gift for our 25th wedding anniversary. And this coming week, it would have been our 53rd wedding anniversary had he made it that long. Bacon. Mm -mm, Bacon. Philemon loved bacon. Every morning he would wake up with his old bones aching and he would say, Bacon. If he could just manage to get his weary old body up out of that bed and go out to the garden and find a, a cabbage head big enough to pick, 
If he could go to the nest of Agatha the goose and find a few fresh eggs in her nest, then he would have almost enough. He would be close to trading those at the market for a brand new slab of bacon. Philemon had only one tiny morsel of bacon left now, and he vowed that he would not eat that last piece of bacon until he had a brand new slab of bacon firmly in his grasp because being an entirely without bacon produced in Philemon a sense of despair. And so he got up out of that bed almost gingerly, and he went about his chores doing what needed to be done that day. That night, he laid himself down on his bed next to his wife, Bossus. They exchanged another day's happening, and they drifted off to sleep. They had only been asleep for a short time when suddenly they were awakened by the honking of Agatha the goose. And then there was a knocking on their front door. Now, who could be calling at this hour of the night? No one should be out in the dark this late. Well, the old couple got up out of their bed. They made their way to the front door. They opened it, and there stood two strangers, handsome but roughly dressed. One of them was bearded. The other one was younger. And the two strangers said that they were passing through that village. They had been looking for a place to stay the night, for a warm bed, maybe a bit of food. But no one had taken them in. Well, guests were always welcome at the home of Bossus and Philemon, no matter how late it was. And so they invited them in. They gave them a place to sit at their table. And then Philemon hurried into the kitchen and he found that large head of cabbage he had picked that day in the garden. He put it in some boiling water. And then Bossus began to clean the last of their radishes and berries and to prepare them for the table. And then Philemon took that last morsel of bacon he had and he put it into the pot to make a tasty soup. That was when Bossus looked up to the top shelf of the cupboard and she saw there the jar of honey. She felt about honey the way Philemon felt about bacon. But she and Philemon were getting too old and too weak to run from the bears and the bees who loved that honey as much as they did. So they had only about two tablespoons full left in the bottom of the jar. It was precious to her. But she took the jar from the top shelf and she placed it on the table. Well, when the soup was done and they sat down to eat, Philemon picked up the serving spoon. His plan was that he would cut that little morsel of bacon in half and divide it between the two guests. But before he could do that, the older of the guests, the bearded one, stuck his fork down into the pot of soup. He stirred it around and he stabbed the piece of bacon. He held it up. It was bigger than Philemon remembered it being. And then that bearded guest 
stuffed that piece of bacon into his mouth. He chewed and he swallowed. Well, Philemon was mortified. What could he offer the other guest, the younger one? But the younger fellow stuck his fork into the soup and he stirred it around and he too came up with a morsel of bacon. And it was bigger than the first one had been. And he stuffed it into his mouth and he swallowed it. And then that younger guest reached out and he picked up the jar with a little bit of honey in it. He tipped it up over his plate and he poured out all of the honey onto his plate. Every single drop. Well, Bossa's turned scarlet. She was perspiring. What could she do now? What could she offer to the other guests? There was no more honey left. But she looked as that younger guest set the honey back down on the table and the jar began to fill itself. It filled itself with honey all the way to the brim. And that was when the old couple knew. And they fell down to their knees on the floor. And they said, forgive us. Forgive us, sirs. We, we did not know. But now we understand that, that you are God's. We, we, we are sorry for this humble meal. We gave the best we had. Oh, did you? Did you? Said the older of the two gods, who, of course, you know by now is Zeus. He said, you gave the best you had? And what about your goose? Our goose, said Philemon. The goose that provides us with eggs to trade for bacon at the market, not the goose. And the younger god, who was Hermes, said, The goose, call her. Very well, said Bossus. And so they called for Agatha to come. And as Agatha came honking toward the door, Zeus began to laugh. He said, never mind, we don't want to cook your goose. <laughs> and then the two gods explained to Bossus and Philemon, we came to this village seeking only a bit of food, a place of shelter, and everyone in this village turned us away except for you. And now you shall be rewarded. Come with us. And the two gods took the old couple up to the top of a hill where they could look down in the valley below and they could see their village. And as they watched, a great flood descended upon that valley and destroyed everyone in the valley. It destroyed every home except for the home of Bassas and Philemon. And the old couple wept for their neighbors. And then the two gods said, Now, your home, it will become a temple. And as Bassas and Philemon watched, the mud bricks of their little hut turned to marble. And the roof transformed into gold. And the two gods said, now, you may wish for anything, and it will be yours. And the old couple had to think about that. 
They had been married for many, many years. They had shared their love and everything they had for all that time. And they knew they did not wish to live without one another. And so they said to the two gods, We understand we could wish for anything. We could have wealth unknown, honey that flows, bacon without end. But this is what we wish. When our time comes to die, allow us to die in the very same moment. And it was so. The old couple, Bassus and Philemon, they lived on a good many more years. They enjoyed their bacon every day. They managed to run from the bees and the bears with the honey as best they could. And when their time came to die, the old couple joined hands. And they say that today in that valley where the old couple lived, there's a large oak tree and a smaller linden tree, and their branches are intertwined, and they grow from the same trunk. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing that, some have entertained angels unaware. Hebrews 13.2 Good night. Bossus and Philemon, an ancient myth told in that wonderful Texan way by uh, the great storyteller Barbara McBride Smith. What a delight that story is. It's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. And you can imagine, I mean, it's not just the telling of a, it, 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 there's a lot of heart. In, mm-hmm. infused into that telling of that ancient tale. You know? Oh, yeah. You, you can, can imagine it being given as an anniversary gift after hearing it, right? Yeah, you can tell it's so personal to her. <laughs> it's so cute, I think, because a lot of the time these days we hear a lot of young love stories. Yeah. But this is an old love story. <laughs> and what more could you want in life, really, than what they wished for? And it starts out with the word bacon. Yeah. And, then you, <laughs> and you've already got me right there. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there. <laughs> it's a great you know, story. I think about these tales and I think about my own relationship with uh, with particularly Greek mythology, mm-hmm. right? My family's Greek. My mother's father oh, cool. is Greek. And there's so much sort of Greek spirit in my home, you know, and in my family tree. But I always sort of looked on the Greek myths, you know, which I discovered when I was very young. You know, my mother 
would uh, w- would take me to the library and I would check out books of, of of stories from Greek mythology, and I sort of felt like because I was Greek, I kind of owned those stories like more <laughs> than my classmates maybe you know they were and, yours yeah they, yeah and and even more than even more than being mine they were almost like they were almost like f- family stories you that's know? I mean, cool yeah, not not like the not n- not that i would have uh, 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 associated any of those characters with actual family members of mine you know not that i would have uh, you know I, I i wouldn't endow them with that right, right. I wouldn't endow myself with that but uh, but they they still somehow felt like family stories and i and i had this kind of filial connection with those and I'm I'm sure it may be impossible to live with. <laughs> well, I love that because I, I also felt a deep connection to the Greek myths when I was growing up. But that was because of Percy Jackson, <laughs> which I loved those books sure, more than yes. any other books in the world. I loved Percy Jackson. Yeah. And Percy Jackson had ADHD and so did I. <laughs> and so I felt like I could be a demigod. This could be could my be. story. Yep. This, could, this could be my family. So I had that. Same connection as Waiting well. Waiting to be revealed at any time. Exactly. Yeah. You can be revealed that you're a demigod at any time. You can have powers. Yeah. That's totally that's possible. Kind of the, isn't, that, isn't that kind of the story that we hear? I mean, you grew up in the Percy Jackson era. I grew up in the Clash of the Titans era. Ah, yes. The old Harry Hamlin movie. And with Ray Harryhausen's special effects, all those terrific monsters moving around as little clay models. Yeah. You know, it's so great. The Greek myths are so just universal. That's right. I love yeah. that. Well, a pleasure to hear that story. And there's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. Samantha, thanks for joining me. Anytime. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. If you're just joining us a moment ago, you heard the story Bossus and Philemon, a story told for you by Barbara McBride-Smith, who hails from Waco, Texas, but who for the last several years has lived in Jonesboro, Tennessee, the heart of live storytelling in America, home of the National Storytelling Festival. And you know, a lot of stories come to us through prepared performances by terrific storytellers who hone their craft and prepare pieces for presentation on stage or in recordings. But stories just as compelling, just as enriching, can come just simply from conversation as we talk about the things that have happened to us and how we feel about them. And uh, that leads us today to a conversation with a friend. We're happy you're here for it. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways, through great meals or great films or great pieces of music or books that we love. And it's always a pleasure for us to chat with a friend about one of those great stories that comes into their life. And it's such a pleasure for me to have Lisa Valentine Clark in the studio with me. Lisa is the host of The Lisa Show. Gonna want to Google The Lisa Show (laughs) podcast for all kinds of really great stuff just about every day. And Lisa, it's great to have you with me. Oh, it's so great to be here. I'm a big fan of the apple seed. (laughs) I am. The Appleseed is a big fan of you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Let's talk about – you have such a – we've had conversations before about films that have been meaningful, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And that medium, 
you know, speaks to us in so many ways, whether it's a movie or a television oh, show. Yeah. We see stories on the screen mm-hmm. that we, we can't help but kind of plumb for all kinds of usefulness in our own oh, lives. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk about a TV show today. So when I was a little girl, like a lot of people, especially before streaming, yeah. and you had to plan your day or your night um, or when I was a little kid, I knew which day of the week it was yeah. by what TV show was going to be on. That and this, night. I got to say, for you and me, this is most of our lives, oh, right? Absolutely. I mean, streaming has come along in the last no, five minutes. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, like when I was a young mom, like putting kids to bed, and I'd have to press, you know, play record on the, yeah. you know, on, on the VCR. Yeah. But th- that's another <laughs> another story that dates me. But when I was a little kid, Saturday night was the time where we. Um, took a bath, and then my mom would brush out our hair mm-hmm. and put them in pink rollers for Sunday <laughs> for the next day. We felt super fancy. I, yeah. You know, I was into all that girly stuff. I loved it. And we would watch TV while we went through this kind of ritual, and it was it was really fun and, you know, pop popcorn and all that. Yeah. And one of those shows that was just in the background of my life was The Love Boat. The- <laughs> And the, even Come the, aboard, oh we're goodness. expecting you. No, I'm, I, you know you get it. And it is arguably maybe one of the cheesiest TV shows that yeah. you could ever. But I just loved it. Yeah. And I just thought it, it – and more than that, it just was the backdrop to a really great part of my childhood. Yeah. You know, just being there with my mom, with my sister. Um, it just for that, it was just like this comfort um, and exciting. You know, I I can't really recall a lot of the episodes or what happened. It's basically the same formula. Sure. It's yeah. not important. It's that overall feeling, like many things in childhood. That's right. right. And lo- Love Boat episodes and Fantasy Island episodes are, like, interchangeable, right? Oh, I mean, it's 100%. Just, because, and it yeah. came – Fantasy Island right. came right after. Sure. Right, oh, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> not important. <laughs> but but vitally important. That's right, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I, I guess I don't realize or maybe have come to appreciate uh, the older that I got of the, the comforting aspect of sort of the rituals that you do unknowingly in yeah. childhood. You never know what it is that you're going to pick up, I think, as a kid and that's going to be useful for you later on and and i think i've had some time to reflect on those things and it's almost like an inside joke to yourself a way to kind of self-soothe there's no coincidence now that especially during during stressful times and particularly during covid and lockdown people started um very well researched and documented rewatching old shows they didn't yeah. want the new stuff they didn't want exciting you know sort of heart racing yeah. stuff they wanted to watch stuff where they knew the ending where they knew the characters where it felt comforting it, and familiar it's incredible if you look at even my like oh, i don't know amazon and ebay mm-hmm. purchases uh, uh, during covid-19 yeah y- y- what you see is that i'm 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 looking for stuff that i loved when i was a kid yeah yeah. yeah, I'm finding old books that yes. I love. I'm finding it, it, it's such a it, yeah. I, I yeah, I and I love that, and and it's a way I I have found that I want I want to share it like a treasured yeah. like stuffed animal with my kids. Yeah, you guys got to watch this. You're gonna love it, and they don't love it in the same they, way we do. <laughs> right, but at least it gives them some sort of reference point to yeah. the weird things we say or why we yeah. do things. And you get your share of. 
Mom, are you kidding me? Did you guys really watch this? <laughs> yeah. This is dumb or whatever. Yeah. Love Boat, I'm sure it yeah. is on that. We, Our family went through a particularly stressful, horrible time mm-hmm. a few years ago that, that, you know, made me drawn to that sort of wanting that comfort. Yeah. My husband... Um, about five years ago, started feeling like a little drag in his leg. And I told him, you know, shake it off. It's probably nothing. And and it didn't go away. And it started getting worse. And we had to do a lot of tests. And yeah. it's the kind of tests where, you know, you can't really tell anyone. Like they say, you know, why are you going to the doctor or whatever? We just sort of kept it to ourselves because – it can't be the worst case scenario, sure. you know, and you, yeah. but your mind is racing and it's kind of the only thing that you can think about, but you can't talk about it. Yeah. So we went in for MRIs and MRIs and CAT scans and PET scans and blood tests and more blood work. And as, as we started crossing things off the list of what it wasn't right. for sure – at the bottom of the list was this awful, horrible diagnosis that, well, we're sure it's not that because it's really rare. Yeah. And 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 what are the odds and what are the chances? We'll figure it out. And it was about a three-month process. Mm-hmm. And as we were getting to the end of that three-month process, we were both very just nervous and sick to our stomachs about the whole thing. And we are both just you know, very like prayerful religious folk. Yeah. And so during this whole time we were really praying about it. Like, is is this diagnosis it? What what are we gonna do if it is? And that kind of both kind of panic yeah. sort of prayers. Again, not really talking to family and friends because you don't say this horrible diagnosis out loud right. unless that's what it is. Yeah. And that's just kind of our nature. Well during this 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 period of time my husband Christopher was going to give uh, to present a paper as part of his 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 job. He did, he did this presentation on a particular uh, Laban Theater Movement group, yeah. and 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 I just kind of looked at him like, "You're going to go?" And he's like, "Yeah, I mean, we got to live our lives while we're trying to figure this out. I can't just, you know." And I thought, yeah. "I know, I know. what what you know. What do you do in a crisis like right. this? Like, yeah. you know, we'd never been through this this crisis." So I said, "Okay." You're, you're going to go to Canada, and I'll stay here. And we, we we thought, let's just both just think about this. We've got, like, one or two more tests to do before, you know, we're going to accept this maybe diagnosis or I don't – we don't know. Yeah. And so we kind of did that week apart. Well, during that week, Christopher, of course – goes to Canada and he presents his paper, does a great job. And he's pretty good about staying focused. But on this particular night, he was having a hard time. Um, he was so worried about his health and what's, what, what, it, what is it? What could it be? And he was praying about it, worrying about it. And finally he thought, I just got to go to bed. I can't turn my mind off. It's just racing. I'm going to turn on some TV, some Dumb. I'm going to find the dumbest thing I can find just so I can relax. Yeah. And so he's flipping through the channels in a hotel room and he lands on the love boat. He thought, perfect. <laughs> it's formulaic. It's soothing. I can watch this episode. It's going to relax me. I can stop thinking about this diagnosis and just go to sleep. Yeah. So he's watching it and it this the plot is is very familiar, right? Yeah. There are some new guests on the love boat. Right. They do lots of fun activities, thanks to the coordination of Julie, right? Yeah. And, you know, and they meet everybody. They have dinner with the captain and all this. And one man on the boat 
it feels a little sick. He feels a little off. So he goes to the ship's doctor, mm-hmm. which I always think is really funny because if you're on a cruise and you just feel a little off, are you really going to go to the doctor? Go to the anyway, doctor, right? but on this show, they do. Yeah. He goes to the doctor. He sits down and um, the doctor says, well, tell me what you're experiencing. He's like, I don't know. I feel kind of off. And the doctor says, grab this pen. And he goes to pick up the pen on the doctor's office and he holds it and then he accidentally drops it. Hmm. The camera pans to the doctor and the doc says, I'm so sorry to tell you, but you have ALS. Good heavens. And that was the very diagnosis that neither one of us had been able to say out loud. And Christopher was watching TV absolutely stunned that the one thing that he was worried about was then portrayed. And he said it was quite a moment for him. And he just had a feeling wash over him head to toe after seeing that and saying, it's ALS. I have ALS. Mm. And that's how he came to terms with knowing before the last tests, the last ditch efforts was. And again, being a really religious guy, he said when he was telling me when he came home, because when he came home from that trip, I had had my own experience. We both looked at each other. We didn't stay, say a word. Yeah. We just broke down, started crying, hugged each other. And he said, do you know? And I said, yeah, I know too. Hmm. And we had both come in a private moment. Mine wasn't with the love boat. With the love boat, yeah. Right. But his was, lucky guy, um, <laughs> of coming to that conclusion. And I've thought about that, and we talked about it after the diagnosis. And he said, you know what's really funny about that is I was so worried, and it's so interesting, he goes, because I really do feel, and not to be sacrilegious at all, but totally serious, that this was a funny, kind, gentle way for me to come to terms with how my life would change and never be the same in a way that could speak to my spirit, who I am, and deal with it in a way that I could focus on it, get on board with it, and then come home to my family. And he marks it as a turning point in that of, okay, now I know. I'm glad I could find out on my own, by myself, to deal with it. Again, through the love boat, which... If you know my husband is so appropriate for it's him. Perfect, isn't it? It's perfect. Yeah. And he felt known and seen yeah. by God. He yeah. really did in that moment of, okay, this is kind of a tongue in cheek, but also serious. And I also feel at peace and kind about it. But I also know with kind of a wink and a nod, it's going to be okay. Wow. And life is going to go on. And you know, at first we didn't really talk about that story of it. Yeah. But now he has since passed of ALS. Yeah. It's a horrible, relent- relentless disease. And as he got more comfortable with his diagnosis, as we got, we accepted it more, that story became a connection of him mm-hmm. and how each one of us goes through different experiences and you think it's going to be one thing, you think you've got it figured out. And sometimes amid even the worst moments, there can be humor, there can be comfort, there can be familiarity, and there can be a real like ownness of it. And there's something really encouraging about that. And I will say, and I've said this before, TV's never let me down. 
TV's been there through some hard times, and yeah. people like to throw TV under the bus about, oh, it's so dumb, it's so mindless, yeah. it's it's not sophisticated, but it's always been there for me, and I would, and I'll never say that. Yeah, and and I and can look. If we don't use it, and you know? exactly yeah. as a comfort, and as I look back on that horrible time, and yeah. it was really horrible, having little stories like that has been helpful, has yeah. been comforting. And has been uh, very personal to me. So I say, watch TV. You never know <laughs> when or what. It might help you through a hard time. Gosh, yeah. Again, you know, we, we, we began this conversation by saying great stories come into our lives in so many ways, you know. Mm-hmm. And they really do. They really do. What a pleasure to, to, to chat about a lighthearted television show yeah. that came to meet a great deal. Absolutely. Lisa, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Great stories do come into our lives in all sorts of ways. And it was such a pleasure to chat with Lisa, well, about the love boat. You know, I can't uh, say that I've had a lot of conversations about the love boat in my life, but for sure, I've never had one quite so enriching as that. You never know what's going to spark a memory or what memory it's going to spark. We invite you to share some of the important memories in your life around the kitchen table or the living room with the people that you love. That kind of storytelling can make for memories that last a lifetime. And if you feel like it, share those memories with us. You can write them down and send them to us at our email address, theappleseed at byu.edu. We love to hear from you. That's theappleseed at byu.edu. Edu. Lots more coming up on the show today. You're not going to want to miss this Charlotte Blake Alston story, a story about a young girl whose kindness saves her on a journey across the world. An ancient story from Charlotte Blake Alston coming up next on The Appleseed. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. If you're just joining us, a moment ago we had a great conversation with Lisa Valentine Clark, host of The Lisa Show on BYU Radio. We talked about the old television show The Love Boat, but it was a conversation about so much more. And up next we've got a story from Charlotte Blake Alston. This is a tale from... Africa. And Charlotte Blake Alston has been studying the West African history telling traditions of Senegal and Mali and Guinea for a long time, since 1999. She's performed all over the world, including the Smithsonian Institution, the Women of the World Festival in Cape Town, South Africa. She's performed in prisons and detention centers, refugee camps. The story she's going to tell here is a folktale from Senegal. It's the story of a young girl whose mother taught her four virtues, kindness, respect, open-heartedness, and patience. And you get to see how those four virtues help save this girl's life in the next story. Here's Charlotte Blake Alston on The Appleseed. Desana. It was not her real name, but it was the name that her stepmother, her new sister, and those who saw how she was treated by them called her. They used that name more often than they called her by her birth name. Desana, poor thing. In essence, that was what Desana meant, poor thing. 
this Monica fit the life she led now. Some time ago, her mother had passed into the next world. At that moment, the elders had told her, her mother became an ancestor, a love-filled spirit that would always be close. Her father had remarried shortly after and brought this woman and her daughter to live in his house. The daughter's name was Kumba. Kumba was very, very spoiled. Whatever she wanted, she got. Her mother would take her to the market to buy beautiful cloth, which she then took to the tailors who would sew the fabric into fine, perfectly fitting clothing. Her mother bought her jewelry for her arms and her neck and oils for her bath. But Desana, poor thing. If she accompanied them to the market, Kumba was given money to buy jewelry, cloth, and sweets. Desana was given money to purchase chickens or meat or vegetables and spices to use to prepare the meals. When they returned home, Kumba went visiting. Desana started cooking. In the early morning, Desana prepared water and oils for Kumba's bath and then began to sweep inside and out. She carried clothes to the river to wash, cooked all the meals, washed all the pots and the bowls, and swept the house clean every day. But her spirit was not broken. She was sweet, polite, kind, respectful, and open-hearted. It did not mean that she was not sad. She yearned for her mother, for the one who had given her life, and indeed it was because of her mother that her spirit had not been broken. Her mother had taught her well, even as a very young child. Among our people, she would say, Yaru, Yatu, Sutra, Muny, kindness, respect, open-heartedness, patience are most important in your life. They will serve you well in all things. Foolish talk, a stepmother would say. One day, Ndesana was looking for a bowl to mix some ingredients. She noticed a dish on a high shelf and reached for it. It was dimbatu, a dish that is used only on special occasions like Ramadan, Tabaski, or baby naming celebrations. Her stepmother was just entering the house. When she saw Ndesana pick up dimbatu, she shrieked, La 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 la, what are you doing? The sudden loud scream startled Ndesana and she jumped and dropped the bowl It broke into pieces. Oh, that dish was given to me by my old ancestors. Look what you have done. I knew that you would do something like this. You are a terrible child. You are no good from the inside and out. And she hit and cut and slashed Ndesana with her words. You will take my dish to the river and Dego Dayan and fix it or you will never live in peace in this house. The river and Dego Dayan. She had heard of this river. Everyone had heard of this river. It was said to have healing power, but this had never been verified. Very few people who attempted to reach the river ever returned, and those who did were not in their right mind because of all the unimaginable things they had encountered along the way. Nesana knew what her stepmother really wanted was to get rid of her. She asked if she could wait for her father's return from a trip to say goodbye, but the stepmother grew increasingly insistent and loud. I don't want to see your face in this house until you have repaired my dish. Olindana picked up the pieces of the bowl and slowly walked out of the house and entered the forest that would begin her journey to the river in Dego Diane. She walked 
and walked and walked, die doch, die doch, die doch, die doch, and soon she could not even see her village anymore. As she walked, she sang quietly to herself. I don't miss sleeping in comfort. I only miss my mother. What I want, they don't sell. What I ask for, they cannot give to me. She continued to walk and walk. The sun was approaching its highest point when the trail led to a tree that was taking down its own leaves and fruit. Desana stopped in an instant. Her mother's words came back. Yaru, Yatu, Sutra, Muny. She had been taught not to show any unusual behavior if she were to encounter a strange spirit, but to look, to be calm. She knew this was not just a tree. Musuknuko, she got down on one knee, acknowledged and greeted the spirit in the tree, and the tree spoke. You, child, are very respectful and polite. Wherever you are headed in your life, you will have God's blessing and protection. Yala jublu yala. Here, take some of my fruit to eat. And the tree gave Desana some of its fruit. She ate the fruit. It was so sweet and juicy, it quenched her thirst. And when she was full, she continued on her way. For she still had the pieces of the bowl in her hand. She had to get to this river called Ndego Dayan. She walked and walked and walked. The sun was now lower in the sky. And soon she came upon a large pot that was cooking its own contents without a fire underneath. Her mother's words were clear as a bell. Yaru. Yatu, Sutra, Muny. She did not show surprise. She uttered no verbal exclamations. And again, Musuknuko, she got down on one knee, acknowledged and greeted the spirit in the pot. And just like the tree, the pot spoke to her. You, child, Yaldedum, you are very calm and respectful. Wherever you are headed in your life, you will receive a blessing. Yala jublu yala. And the pot gave Ndesana a taste of some of its contents. When she was full and satisfied, she continued on her way. For she still had the pieces of the bowl in her hand. She had to get to the place called Ndego Dayan. She walked and walked. Didoch, 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 didoch. And for the rest of the day, Desana encountered things so strange that I shall not even try to describe them to you. Just before the sky grew dark, she could hear the waters of Inigo Dayan. She was practically there. She walked a little bit faster when all of a sudden she came upon something she had never seen before. It was a wo- no, it was a creature. It, 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 it seemed to be half woman, half creature. An old, old woman. She had one eye, one arm, one leg, 
Hair covered most of her body, and the front and the back down to her knees. Desana's mother's words were like loud whispers in her ear. Yaro, yatu, sutra, And once again, Musuknyuko and Desana got down on one knee, acknowledged and greeted the old woman. The old woman looked straight at her. She was amazed. Yo de you child. You are very respectful. What are you doing in this place? How did you get so far? Tell me your name. Desana began to tell the old woman about her stepmother and about the dish. Her eyelids, though, were getting so heavy. The old woman took Desana home and gave her something to eat. Now you must go to sleep, she said. I am the mother of all the creatures in this place. They all come back home at night to sleep, and if they find you here, they will not let you live. She gave Desana a large metal comb with a sharp pointed tip and told her to get under the bed. When my family comes and gets into the bed, you stick them with the comb little by little, dunk, dunk. They will think there are ticks and fleas in the bed. They will get up and leave, and then you can get into the bed and sleep in peace. Sure enough, as soon as Ndesana drew in her arms and legs under the bed, shoom, 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 the creatures started coming one after another after another, piling into the bed. Ndesana did just what she was told. She took the pointed end of the comb and began to stick it to them, little by little, ndunk, 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 Buki, the hyena, jumped up and said, Hey, there are a lot of fleas in this bed. Let's get up from here since nobody can get good sleep. And they left. Desana climbed into the bed and slept a peaceful sleep. In the morning, the old woman led the child to the river, took the broken pieces of the bowl and dipped them into the water. The bowl was restored. The woman wiped it clean and said, Halebi, you are a very good child. When you saw how I looked, you didn't show any surprise. You didn't shout a point. You showed a lot of discretion. And now I am going to give you three eggs. And Desana listened to the instructions carefully with patience and calm. When you break the first one I'm putting into your hand, a lot of people will follow you and protect you. Then you must break the second one I am putting into your hand. Strange and bad creatures will come out of it, but do not be alarmed. Then finally, break the third one I am putting into your hand, and that will be my gift to you. And this name of yours, this is not a name for one such as you. You are rich in ways that cannot be measured. Claim the name your mother gave to you. Now go, wherever you are headed, God will be with you. Yalla, jubla, yalla. Desana claimed her name, Sukena, one who will always return. She thanked the old woman and then left. She now held the restored bowl in her hand. She had made it to the river, called Ndego Dayan. She walked and walked and walked, didoch, 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 
and when she could no longer see the old woman's dwelling and was a third of the way home, she broke the first egg. And just as the old woman said, a large crowd of people appeared and began to follow her. When she had traveled another third of the way, she broke the second egg. And just as the old woman said again, strange and vile creatures arose, but the crowd of people surrounded them and destroyed them, every single one. When she was close enough to the village to smell the food in the pots, she broke the third egg. The Mbatu dish began to overflow with gold and jewels. She removed her headcloth and emptied the precious metals into it. She gathered them up into a bundle and walked back into the village. She came into the house, greeted her astonished stepmother, and said, Here is your bowl. I have restored it as you asked. For a long moment, the woman was just speechless and stunned. How could this child be standing in front of her once again? And where could she have found these treasures? She called her own daughter, Kumba. You must come here at once. She grabbed the bolt from Sukena's hands, and just as Kumba entered the house, she tossed it to the ground. Oh, look, my daughter, my special dish has been broken. You must take these pieces to the river Ndego Diane and restore it. Kumba looked back and forth from the broken pieces of the dish to Sukena's bundle overflowing with treasures and back and forth and back and forth again and then she she got it. She eagerly picked up the pieces and said, uh, Yes, I will go and restore this dish. So she began to walk and walk and walk. The trail led her into the forest and soon she came upon the tree that was taking down its own leaves and fruit. Oh, my goodness, she yelled in surprise. What is this? What a crazy and strange thing, a tree taking down its own fruit. This is crazy. Okuma went toward the tree and started to grab pieces of fruit, and she began to eat it as she continued on her way. The tree spoke out to her. Yaldedom, you there, child. How rude and disrespectful you are. Halibubonbi, you will not get very far in your life. I may not get far, but I got what I want, and that is some of this fruit. She continued walking and walking, and she came upon the pot that was cooking its own contents with no fire underneath. Oh, my eyes deceive me, she said. Oh, my goodness, this cannot be real. She took one of the broken pieces of the dish, dipped it into the pot, and began to eat the contents. It was most certainly real, and it was delicious. She continued on her way, and the pot called after her. Yadedom, you there, girl. You are not very wise. Halebi, bombi, you will not get very far. I may not get far, but I got what I wanted, and that is some of the stew in your pot. With each encounter, Kumba pointed, she laughed, she clapped, she exclaimed, she grabbed whatever suited her. And as the sun was setting, she came upon the old half-woman, half creature. She squinted her eyes, held her nose, and shouted, Old woman, when did you last bathe? What are you doing here? You should be hiding yourself. You there, child. Tinyani, how selfish. You don't show a lot of discretion. You are not a wise or tranquil girl, and what are you doing here in my forest? I am here to restore this dish, so just tell me where I need to go. Even you cannot find your way in the darkness. You will sleep. Then I will take you in the morning. 
she took Kumba back to her house, offered her nothing to eat, but she did tell her, I am the mother of all the creatures in this forest. They all come home at night to sleep. You get under the bed. I'm going to give you this comb, and I want you to stick it to them little by little, and dunk, and dunk. They will think there are fleas in the bed, and they will leave, and then you can get into the bed and sleep. Well, no sooner had she tucked in her arms and legs than shoop, 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 one after another after another, the creatures piled onto the bed. Kumba was so startled and annoyed, she just started jabbing the creatures with the comb. They jumped up and scrambled on top of one another to escape the sharp jabs. They almost broke the bed. Buki Hyena said, hey, these are not fleas. We need to see what is under this bed. Oh, quickly, the old woman said, I, I, I will take care of it. You leave tonight, and when you come back tomorrow, you will be able to sleep in peace, I promise you. Well, they may have been terrible creatures, but they still listened to their mother. And so they all got up and left, and Kuumba got into the bed. The old woman woke Kumba early in the morning. She took her to the river and restored the bowl. You almost caused trouble for yourself last night. You must leave this forest as quickly as you can and never come back. I don't need to come back. The bowl is restored. Now tell me where you keep the treasures you gave the first girl who came. I give to you what I give to her. What you do with them is what you do. She gave Kumba the first egg and began to tell her exactly what to do. She placed the second egg in Kumba's hand. But before the old woman could continue her explanation, Kumba snatched the last egg and started to run. She ran and ran and ran until she was halfway through this forest. And at that point, she stopped, looked at the first egg. A crowd of people to follow me? I don't need a crowd of people. They'll only want my riches, which I claim now. Instead of breaking the first egg, she broke the second Vile and menacing creatures sprang up from that egg, and before Kuma could react, they pounced on her. They scattered into all parts of the forest and into the air, and all that was left of this girl was her tongue. In the village, everyone awaited her return. A large bird flew out of the forest, circled over them, and dropped Kumba's tongue in the mother's lap. She screamed, ran into that forest, and never again emerged. As for this, as for Sukena, the riches that were passed to her from her mother, Yaru, Yatu, Sutra, Muny, carried her far in her life. Today, in cities, villages, towns, in houses and courtyards, in school classrooms and playgrounds, around warm fires in the evening, the people of Senegal gather to hear the retelling of this story. When the children hear it, they are reminded once again of how rich they truly are. 
Charlotte Blake Alston, the storyteller there. What a pleasure to bring that story to you and also the story Bossus and Philemon, a story told for you by uh, Barbara McBride-Smith, uh, an ancient Greek legend told for you by a great storyteller. Great also to have a conversation with Lisa Valentine Clark. We talked about the love boat and really so much more. It's been great for us to have you with us on the Appleseed today. We hope you'll join us again. I'm Sam Payne. And before we go, we want to remind you that uh, through October 15th, we're in the middle of a service project, or rather 10,000 service projects, powered by JustServe.org, BYU Radio. And, of course, the Appleseed is a part of that BYU Radio family. And all of our listeners, we're joining together to try to uh, perform 10 10,000 acts of service in 30 days. We started on September 20th. We're going to run through October 15th. And uh, you can do anything you like. You can uh, take a meal to someone or tell a story to someone or mow someone's lawn. We'd like to encourage you to gather food for food banks and pantries. And you can find more about this project at byuradio.org slash service. In fact, we'd love to hear some of the things that you're doing to serve your neighbors. And you can find a way to tell us there at the website. Join us again on The Appleseed. Our producer is Jeff Simpson. Again, I'm Sam Payne. Can't wait to have you with us for more stories. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.